grab John uh, 12, and uh, we'll be spending our time in the first 11 verses, and, uh, and then we will pray, okay? So let's, John 12, verse 1. Are you there? You ready? Okay, here we go. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, uh, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Uh, Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you are here. I thank you, God, that you're present with us and that you've given us your word and you'll speak to us today. God, we need you. I just just love that song, Father, that nothing else will do. I just want you. And so, God, I pray that your spirit would move and speak and, and teach us today by your spirit. God, I need you. I can't do this without you. I pray that you would give me words to say. And that what we uh, do in this room would have an impact on our eternity, on our lives. That we'd all be exhorted um, to grow in our gratitude of you and who you are and in our worship of you. God, I just pray that you'd come and have your way. Do what only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, you know, I really don't have any fancy intro today. Don't have any fun story or anything like that. It's just kind of like, let's just jump into it, okay? Um, we're talking about greed and gratitude. That's the two really contrasting themes we see in the text today: greed and gratitude. And uh, we all all feel like we're probably gr- grateful people, and none of us really think that we're gre- greedy people. But we'll see how the un- the text, you know, uh, weighs itself on our life as a mirror. And so, just let's just go back to verse one. Actually, if you're if you if you like follow the notes, my notes are complicated today, and complicated I mean kind of out of order. I, I kept flipping and flopping when I was preparing this because there's the good news, which is this grateful person Mary, and then there's this bad news, this greedy person Judas. And whenever you get news, do you like to hear the good news or the bad news first? Yeah, if you're like me, I want the bad news first because I I want to end with the good news. And that's how I wanted to end the service. I wanted to end the service with the good news. But the text puts the good news first and the bad news second. And so I've been flipping, flopping, flopping, and flipping how I should present this today. And I just decided to go in the order of the text. So the first one is in verse 1, which is uh, gratitude gives. Let's see this in verse 1. Six days before the Passover... Uh, Jesus was therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So this is six days before the Passover. This is the final week of Jesus's life. And maybe you'll notice that this book, the book of John that we've been studying, it is 21 chapters. And we're we're starting chapter 12, and it is starting the last week of Jesus's life. So nearly half the book of John is devoted to one week of Jesus' life, this, last, this Passion Week, as it's called. In the Gospel of Matthew, he devotes more than 33% of his book to, uh, to the last week of Jesus' life. The Gospel of um, Mark, nearly 40%, and Luke, 25%. 
So a, a majority of the Gospels is focused on one week of Jesus' life. He was here on the planet for 33 years or so, and a big chunk is devoted to seven days. Seven days. Does, are you seeing that there's maybe an emphasis in the writings of the Gospels? Maybe the whole purpose of most of what we're given in the Gospels is not to get all the details of Jesus' earthly life as much as it is the fact that God sent someone to redeem us and what He accomplished in the last week of His life uh, changes all of our eternities. So six weeks, I'm sorry, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came because the Passover is the last Passover. It's the Passover where Jesus uh, goes to the cross. So Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom He had raised uh, from the dead. So, so remember that last uh, time we were together, we saw that uh, Lazarus died. This is Jesus' good friend. He had a sister, Martha and Mary. Uh, and uh, He died. They sent for Jesus. Jesus didn't show up. And so they were heartbroken. They just lost their brother. Jesus comes to the funeral. Lazarus has been dead for four days. And uh, He raises Lazarus from the dead. So you can imagine kind of how exciting this time is. Um, so, so they gave a dinner for Him there. So you can imagine that, that Lazarus was dead and then He came to life and they probably want to celebrate. They, they, were, they were planning on taking all the casseroles that were for the bereavement meal and going and having a feast. Let's celebrate. Lazarus is alive. He was dead and now he's alive. But if you remember, the religious leaders got word about this miracle that Jesus did and then they were seeking to kill him. So Jesus had to get out of town and he withdrew for a time to wait for things to kind of calm down. So this celebration had been delayed, but now it is here. They're finally able to get together in someone's house and share a meal and celebrate what Jesus did for Lazarus. We learn from the other Matthew and uh, Mark's Gospels, so this scene, Mary anointing Jesus' feet, this scene is in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and here in John. Um, the scene in, in Luke is, is not the same person. It's not, the, when, you know, we think of, uh, you know, the story of the, the sinner who anoints Jesus' feet and wets his feet with her tears and wipes it with her hair. You know that, remember that story? This is not the same person. It's a different time in Jesus' ministry. It's a different woman who does it. it. They're at someone else's house. They're in a different city. Totally different event. So let's not get these two uh, mixed up. But uh, this one is talked about elsewhere. And where it is talked about, it, says, it gives us the detail that this is at Simon the leper's house. Simon the leper's house. Now the problem with it being at Simon the leper's house is if you were a leper, you had this terrible skin disease that was uh, contagious, or they considered it contagious, and you'd be considered unclean. You couldn't be around anybody. And so it's kind of odd that it says they had it at Simon the leper's house because you wouldn't be in a leper's house. Which probably means that he used to be a leper. That Jesus healed him. And since Simon was a very common name at the time, they distinguished him by calling him Simon the leper. He, he's the guy who they healed from leprosy. Which then you can understand that he probably had an amazing story. Like if you had a story to share, that'd be the one. You'd, you'd be the guy at the party that was always able to one-up people. You'd be, someone would be sharing, hey man, I met Jesus and He really changed my life. And Simon the leper would come along and he'd be like, yeah, well let me tell you, I was a leper. I had a death sentence. This would be like stage four cancer, like, like no going back. But Jesus healed me, transformed my life. It was incredible. Let me tell you about it. Like He was the one-upper person at the party. And so he's at this party. He's, he's hosting this dinner party. And Lazarus shows up. 
So, Lazarus, so Simon's like, hey, Lazarus, let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. I was a leper. He healed me of leprosy. And Lazarus says, yeah, I was dead for four days. And he brought me to life. Like, so then Lazarus, so they're having this one-up competition. Lazarus is winning. Lazarus is uh, Mary, ser Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at uh, at table. This, so Martha's serving. Now, now Martha's kind of known for serving. The, most of the time when we see Martha, she's serving. Remember that first scene when Martha and Mary are together with Jesus, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's just serving, serving, serving. She loves to serve, and then she's like, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. And he's like, no, no. So Martha is busy serving, and you know those people. They're, they always got to be doing something, and they're always helping you with something. And they come over to your house, and they make you uncomfortable because they're like doing your dishes and stuff. And you're like, just calm down. Just sit down somewhere. So Martha served. And then Lazarus is reclining at table. So this was the common posture for eating. At the time, they'd have a low table, and they would sit on these pads on the floor. And so you would uh, put your feet kind of away from the table and recline kind of towards the table. So they're all kind of reclining, relaxing, which is just amazing. Just the idea that that he's just resting in the presence of God. Like there's, there's things going on around, life isn't the best in the sense that there's people trying to kill Jesus and, and we'll see that people are trying to kill Lazarus. And he's able to just rest in the presence of God in the midst of the chaos of everything going on in the world. And um, what's interesting is that la after Lazarus died, he's now feasting with Jesus. Which is kind of a picture of after we die, we'll be feasting with Jesus. After we die, we're going to go be in the presence of the Lord and be rejoicing in his presence. So we have all these people. In verse 3, here comes Mary. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped um, his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. So it says uh, expensive ointment and um, so this was probably uh, like an like an essential oil <laughs> right and so, so you, you essential oil people y'all love this because because that's what it is it's very fragrant made of this root uh, but it's it's this expensive ointment and if you've ever bought essential oils those things are expensive right you, you spend like 50 bucks and you get like a little bitty vial like a little ounce of oil, and it was even worse back here. Um, they, we're told that, that uh, Judas said that it's worth, we could sell that for 300 denarii. The 300 denarii was, was worth a, a year's wage. One denarii was, a, was one person, like an average wage for a working person. So 300 denarii, if you count you know, weekends off and stuff, you get, that's about a year's wages for the average working person. So you can imagine, let's see, uh, what's an average working person's wage today? Like, for, yeah, 40, I think in Mississippi, it's 45 to 49,000 is the median income. And uh, it, of course, it wouldn't have been worth that much, but that's the value of, of a year's wage to them. So they would have had this very expensive uh, ointment that she is pouring out all over the place and it just goes to show her extravagant worship of God. And so Mary took this pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Now, nard is just a weird word, isn't it? <laughs> like nard. Don't you, just, don't you love saying nard? Come on, just say it with me. Nard. Yeah, and it just feels good, doesn't it? It's like a word you don't use all the time. But the word nard, pure nard, or maybe your translation says the spike nard, and spike nard is really the technical term for it, I guess. But it, it's, it's this oil that's made from the roots, the spikes on the roots of the nard plant. And so that's where it you know, gets its name. It's imported from northern India. This is not something they grew locally. This is 
they would have to import it. Again, they're expensive, and it's uh, imported from elsewhere, most likely India. And it's pure, it says. I mean, this is the real thing. And uh, it's a pound of it. Now, a Roman pound was about 11 ounces, so that's about the size of a can of soda. That's a pretty good bit of this essential oil. And it's a very expensive thing. And it says that she anointed his uh, feet. She anointed. Um, anointing is what you would do. Like, you, you wouldn't use this stuff every day. You wouldn't use it at all. It'd be a very expensive thing you kind of saved. And, uh, but you would use it for preparing bodies for burial. So they didn't have all the technology we have, I guess, today, all the chemicals and stuff to prepare bodies for burial. So when someone died, you would anoint their body, you would prepare their body with this ointment, with this oil, and uh, it was very fragrant to kind of mask the decaying smell as you put them away. And uh, so whenever she's anointing his body, she's kind of preparing him for burial. And it says that she anointed his feet. Now, Matthew's Gospel and Mark's Gospel says that, that she anointed his head. She anointed his head. So, so this is like, <clears throat> how do we reconcile these things? How does one account of this event say that she anointed his head, and then another account, like we're reading in John, says she anointed his feet? Is this a contradiction in the Bible? No. Anytime you have someone anoint in one place their head and in another place their feet, we can reconcile this by saying she probably anointed his head and his feet. Does that sound good? <laughs> she anointed his head. There's a lot of ointment, a lot of oil. She anointed his head, which was a, a symbol of honor. She anointed his head and she anointed his probably his arms and his hands and she anointed his feet. She probably poured this stuff all over him. She used the whole thing. This wasn't something that you would just put a cap on. This was the, the other accounts say this an alabaster jar. This is a very expensive sealed jar that you would break open to use it. So it's not I'm going to put the cap on this and put it away. She used all of this ointment, all of this oil on him. She anointed his feet. Mary's always found at the feet of Jesus. Did you notice that? The first time she comes on the scene, like I just described earlier, you have Mary and Martha, and Martha's serving, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. And so she's sitting at his feet in one scene, scene learning from Jesus. And then the next time we see Mary, it's right after her brother dies, and she sees Jesus for the first time since he died, and she runs and she falls, it says, at the feet of Jesus and just surrenders the whole thing to him. So she's surrendering to Jesus the next time we see her at his feet. And here now, she is anointing his feet. She is honoring Jesus. Spurgeon said, you must sit at his feet if you will, um, or you will never anoint them. He must pour his divine teaching onto you, or you will never pour out a precious ointment upon him. And there's something about sitting on the feet at the feet of Jesus and receiving from Jesus that, that stirs up this gratitude in your heart that causes you to give back joyfully to him. And she wiped it off, it says. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, when you anointed a body for burial, you wouldn't typically wipe it off. You would leave it on. But here she wipes it off. Maybe because she anointed him for burial, he's going to the cross. And then she wipes it off, picturing that he's not staying dead. That he will rise again. That he doesn't need to stay on him because he's not going to stay dead for very long. Pointing to his resurrection. It says that she did this with her hair, which would have been scandalous. Women, they kept their hair up and they would 
only pull it down if they were in the presence of their husband privately to let down your hair as a woman in this culture to let down your hair uh, in front of other men or publicly would have been scandalous inappropriate she didn't really care about public opinion though she has this unashamed adoration of her savior she got in the presence of Jesus and then she was just moved to worship him. What would it take for you to get into the place where you would, in front of a group of people, take uh, your best, most expensive perfume and pour it on the preacher's feet and then wipe his feet off with your hair? What kind of state of mind would Mary have to be in to do this? I mean, we get uncomfortable to raise our hands in worship or to sing too loudly or maybe to kneel in worship. Those things make us uncomfortable. And they're all things that are prescribed for us in Scripture on ways to worship the Lord. But they make us uncomfortable because we get uncomfortable. We don't want people to look at us. We don't want people to think weird about us. And we, we get so tied up in public opinion, but not Mary here, this woman did what no one else would do. This is a radical expression of her worship. This would have been disruptive in a sense. You have all these men sitting at this table, reclining, eating dinner, and the women are serving and, and cooking and, and doing things to, around the house and she comes in and just busts open this, in our day, $50,000 bottle of perfume and pours it all over Jesus. This unashamed adoration. How do you get to the place where Mary was? Where she's willing to do this? One word. Gratitude. Gratitude. I really believe that she was grateful. Grateful that Jesus saved her soul. Grateful that Jesus saved her brother. They were ripped apart whenever their brother died. And you can imagine in that day that the, 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 not just the husband, but kind of the male in the house, they were responsible for caring and providing for the women in their house. So the fact that they're all living together, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, as adult children, Lazarus is probably the one who's providing for the family. And so whenever uh, Lazarus dies, then there's goes the income. There goes our security. There goes our protection. And so the, whenever Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, just this immense gratitude, and that's what this dinner is about, it's about thanking Jesus, celebrating that Lazarus is alive. I think she was grateful. In the other story, in Luke, it's not the same scene, different person, we said all that. But in that story, when all this is going on, and the Pharisees object to this type of radical expression, Jesus says, you know, he who is forgiven much loves much. And he who is forgiven little loves little. There's something about the realization of how much God has done for me causes me to well up in gratitude and pour out abundant worship on him. Gratitude gives is kind of this point. But it gives. It's just she's pouring out this on him. And then the second thing is that greed grabs. So we're going to see a contrast. Verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of his uh, disciples, he who was about to betray him, um, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was in it. And so he, he says this whole, like, why don't we just sell all this? Why, why are we wasting all this, these resources? We could, we could sell this and give it to the poor, which sounds reasonable. 
We've all probably made arguments like this. Why are they wasting money doing that when they could be doing this? And we, we learn from the other Gospels that, that this was like this attitude was contagious. The whole, it says all the disciples were indignant. In the other accounts, all the disciples, they're all going, yeah, she's wasting all this ointment. We could have helped so many. Can you imagine what we could have done with $50,000 to help the poor? And she's just pouring it out on his feet. Yeah. Um, it seems like a good idea, but he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to it. So he, he seems to be dabbling in the, he's kind of the treasurer, he's in charge of the finances of Jesus' ministry, and, um, but he's greedy. And he's a thief. He's greedy. So how do we know if we're greedy? Because like I said, like no one thinks they're greedy. No one thinks they're greedy. So how do we know? No one thinks they're greedy, but, but the reality is that we live in the richest country in the history of the world. And so there's all this talk about the 1%, like the 1% needs to pay their fair share and all that kind of stuff. And we can figure that out later, but there's all this disdain towards the 1%, but did you know, like, we are the 1% globally. Okay, we might not be the 1% if we look into the actual numbers, but we're in the top percentage of people globally. And so, could it be maybe possibly that we could get wrapped up in some greed? Could it be possible that maybe, just maybe, this could be something I'm tempted with? Something that I struggle with as someone who lives in the wealthiest country in the history of the world? Maybe. Here's what we see out of the, the story of Lazarus here. I mean, yeah, Judas, I'm sorry. Um, how do I know if I'm greedy? Are you overly critical of how the church spends their money? Are you overly critical of how church or ministries or people spend their money. Now, we all need to be good stewards of what God has given us. We're, we're not going to, you know, intentionally waste things. We're, we're to be good stewards of what God's given us, and we are, and we seek to do that. However, being overly critical of how others spend their money is, could be a symptom of greed. I can't believe they'd spend their money on that new projector screen. I can't believe they pay him that. I can't believe that, that, uh, that they spend that much money on their building. You know, how much money could they be giving to missions if we just got rid of all of that other stuff? How much money could we be giving to the poor if we didn't spend it on those other things? Overly critical of how others spend their money. Now, I know we looked at Judas, how he did this, and thought, oh, how could he think that? But we think that. We do. You look at ministries and churches and say, how could they spend the money on those things when they could give all that money to the poor? Let's be good stewards, but let's not be overly critical of how others spend their money. That's how Judas did it. Uh, do you cheat to save money? We see that Judas was stealing out of the money bag. He was the treasurer. He kept the, he kept the finances, but he was cheating. He was stealing. He was helping himself to it. Um, do you cheat to save money? Do you cheat on your taxes to save some money? Do you cheat um, in your business practices to save money? Do you give an estimate low and then give an invoice high do you, do you cheat? Do you, do you cheat on God? In your giving? To His kingdom work? Are you robbing God? Do you cheat? Whenever we cut corners financially and cheat and rob and steal in different ways to keep that for ourselves, is that not a symptom of greed as we see here? 
Here, here's, here's another symptom. Am I greedy? Are you overly focused on uh, things, possessions, material? We see this extravagant act of worship of Mary doing this for Jesus. And Judas's thought is, that's worth 300 denarii. He immediately thinks of the money. He immediately thinks of possessions. He immediately thinks of materials. Are we overly focused? That's 300 denarii. How could, you, how could you pour that out like that? You're just wasting it. And I'm sure Mary would say yes, and if I had more, I would pour more. It's discontentedness in what I have and always looking for more. We've got to be careful with this because it's the same sin that got Satan thrown out of heaven. Discontentedness. It's the same sin that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Discontentedness. How was Judas even in charge of the money bag? You ever wonder that? <laughs> like, he's obviously kind of sneaky. How, how could they have ever put him in charge of this? How is he the treasurer? He's the one who betrayed trade Jesus. He's the one who's stealing from the money bag. How did he get this job? Um, he was probably financially savvy. He was probably really organized, really... Uh, he had spreadsheets and budgets, and he kind of had an idea of how money should work. And so he was probably a really financially savvy person, so he was very competent in, in this area. But um, this is why you don't simply put somebody in a, in a serving role, a ministry role, just because they're gifted. That character matters more than competency. That who you are matters more than what you simply do. I would rather have one worshiper whose heart is all in it, who's leading us with a kazoo and a tambourine combo, than having a professional worship band whose heart is far from God. And I think Jesus would too. And sometimes people get put in positions because they're gifted, and Jesus is looking at the heart, and it's more than just are you competent? for a role is, does, is are you do you love Jesus is your heart with him and so he does this whole thing verse 7 Jesus said leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial for the poor you will always have with you but you do not always have me now he's not saying he's not giving us an excuse to uh, he's not giving us excuse to not care for the poor. What he's saying is, this is the last week of my life. And then I'm going to die and be buried. I'm coming back, but then I'm going to leave you guys. You're not always going to have me with you physically. The poor is, are always going to be here. So it's okay for us to pour this extravagant worship on me because there's going to be a day where you'll have plenty of time to care for the poor. He's not saying don't care for the poor. He's just saying, leave her alone. This is, this is the second time he's, he's defended Mary's worship, isn't it? Look at it. What kind of relationship do you have to have with Jesus for him to always be like, like standing up for you? Isn't that cool? So she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. Martha comes complaining. Jesus is like, leave her alone. She's doing the better thing sitting and hearing my teaching and here they get on to mary and he's like leave her alone she's doing the better thing worshiping me man so so whenever you do worship jesus unashamedly and public opinion turns against you you can know that you have jesus on your side that he will defend you. And that's really all that matters. All right, let's keep going. Verse 9. And, then, and when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account uh, of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised uh, from the dead. So you can imagine Lazarus is getting kind of famous. It's not every day that someone's raised from the dead. And so people are like, I got to see this for my, with my own eyes. I got to meet this Lazarus guy. Is it true? 
And so, um, but then the chief priests heard about this. So the chief priests, this is uh, again the like the, the Sanhedrin here, this is that council that we were talking about, Pharisees and Sadducees. So these are probably Sadducees here. Um, they made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So, so they're not over only trying to kill Jesus now, but they're going to kill Lazarus too because whenever some come, somebody comes back from the dead, people start believing in the person that raised them from the dead. And so his just existence is causing people to believe in Jesus and they're kind of wanting to put an end to that. Now, now so Lazarus... His greed caused him to want to grab the, the cash. And then the religious leaders, their greed for power, for status, for position, their greed caused them to want to grab the life of Lazarus and Jesus. They wanted to take his life. And um, the Sadducees, the interesting thing is that they didn't believe, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So, so Lazarus being alive is like deconstructing their whole theology. They're like, what is going, we got to get rid of this guy. He's contradicting all of our beliefs. And the ironic thing is that if they would have killed him, do they not think that the person who raised him from the dead the first time could do it again? <laughs> and again? It's like, we kill him, boom, he's raised. We kill him, boom, he's raised. Like, did you not think this through? He has the power to raise people from the dead. But the idea here is that greed grabs. So let's just like look, like evaluate our life. Evaluate our life. Is my life marked by grateful generosity or is it marked by me first, more for me, looking after me, thinking about me? critical of others, judging everybody else's spending habits. Are you grateful or are you greedy? How do you cultivate a, a grateful heart? How do you cultivate a grateful heart? I'll try to end with some good news. See, I told you I didn't want to end with the bad news, right? So we're putting a good news sandwich, okay? Isn't that what you're supposed to do like whenever you get onto somebody? critical somebody you're supposed to give them good news you're so great give them the bad news you're terrible in this area but you can do better you know like the good news so here's the good news to end how do we cultivate a grateful heart recognize what you've been given this is what Mary, we see with mary she's like so grateful um with what she's been given like you've given you've saved my soul you've just transformed my life and you've saved my brother and the, the recognition that all that I have, every good thing that I have is a gift from God. Every good gift is from above. And then give sacrificially. Real worship always costs the worshiper. It always involves a sacrifice. Uh, we see that. Did you notice that the first expression of worship in the Bible, in human history that we have recorded, the first expression of worship is Cain and Abel. And they go... And they make a sacrifice to God. They give something to God. Giving has always been an act of worship. It's been like the primary way we worship is through giving, giving to God. And we see David, whenever David wanted to make a sacrifice to God, and some people said, hey, well, we'll give you, we'll donate the lamb, we'll donate the, the sacrifice. And he said, no, I want to pay for it all because I will not sacrifice, I will not give something to God that costs me nothing. Like, real worship always requires sacrifice, giving. And the perfume, as we said, was worth a year's wages. It's pure nard, which means that it's not imitation nard. <laughs> it's not imitation. It's not a cheap knockoff. It's not like the great value version. It's not like it tastes like butter. It's not butter, but it tastes like butter. And if you've ever had butter, you know it doesn't taste like butter. It's not like Dr. Thunder. Okay, it's not, it's pure nard. It's the real thing. One commentator said, she brings out the best, most extravagant, most expensive ointment of the day. 
She pours, it, she pours every ounce on him. Her gift is her way of yelling from the mountaintops, Jesus is worth it! Jesus is worth it! Is Jesus worth it to you? If we would learn to sit at Jesus' feet, we would, we, I think we would give more to him too. And maybe that's it. Having a hard time in my... Man, she believes Jesus is worth it, and that's what sacrificial generosity does. And then unashamed adoration. Sacrificial giving, unashamed adoration. She let her hair down. She did it in front of everyone. She was unashamed. When was the last time that you were so overcome by the presence of Jesus that you worshipped Him in an, in an unashamed way? Have you ever had that? I'm not just talking about worship through singing or music, but have you ever, have you ever been overcome by the goodness and presence of God in such a way that you, you worshipped in a way that you didn't care who saw you? You, may, you might have forgotten. Is there anybody else in the room? Did anybody see me? You, you, that, that wasn't in your mind. Maybe it expressed itself in weeping, in tears of gratitude to God. I don't know, but have you ever had that moment? When was the last time? Sometimes our heart, we can get so cold in our worship of God. and Man, her in the presence of Jesus just moved her to worship in an unashamed way. Uh, service, so we're cultivating the heart of gratitude. Uh, service. Martha was serving. Martha was serving. Now, I think that, that these scenes here uh, are different expressions of worship. So you have uh, Mary is like uh, honoring, adoring Jesus. You have Martha who's serving. We have Lazarus who we see is witnessing in the sense of his life is just a witness. They're saying many are believing because of Lazarus being alive. And so we have these different expressions of worship, but, um, but Martha's serving. And do I, do I serve the Lord in any capacity? I think uh, we're so blessed to be part of a serving church. I think this is probably one of the areas that you guys excel at. I was just this week, we had um, uh, Ron and Steve were out here. Uh, we, we, we had this memorial this weekend, and, and then also we have the Fall Fest coming up, and so they're cutting the grass and cleaning up the shrubs over here. I mean, it just looks amazing. Pressure washing. I mean, just seeing these guys out there spend a good portion of their day just sweating. That's before the cold front. So it's just sweating and working and laboring. Uh, and just the fact, and I could mention so many names. I, mean, I hate to mention any names, but sometimes you do. And so many of you do so much just serving the Lord, serving the Lord. We had that memorial here uh, yesterday, and um, it was a large memorial, a large event, and um, a lot of people, they're from another church, so a lot of people who've never been here before, and um, I was in line behind a couple to get food, and they were saying, man, this facility is incredible, you know, you guys have such a great place here, thank you for doing this. I said, well, thanks. And she said, it seems like, um, she said, it seems like you have a real active congregation. And I was like, not many of you were here. There was a couple of you helping out for this, but there was not a lot of us here. But she just sensed from being here, like, this is not a stale place. Like, there's people who love this place, who are active in this place, who are serving in this place. And I was able to say, I said, yeah, kind of one of the more recent uh, examples of that is that, uh, you know, we had this homeschool group who wanted to, to use our facility, and so I was telling our class, you know, some, our church about this and how we needed to kind of freshen up this facility because we hadn't used it in a while, and I said on a Tuesday morning, 20 people showed up to clean up the place, and we had people just everywhere just sweeping and mobbing and dusting and decluttering, and we got that place so nice for this homeschool group to be able to use, and they were like, what? 
You had 20 people show up for a cleaning day on a Tuesday? And I'm like, yeah, God, God's good. We're part of a good church. I said, I'm blessed. We're blessed to be part of a church that serves. And so, are you serving, though? We need people to serve at the Fall Fest. Sign up today. <laughs> we'll, we'll plug. Um, this is a heart, this is a heart of gratitude. We see the result of this by um, at the end of verse three, where it says, uh, "When she did this, the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume." The house was filled with this fragrance. Uh, Morris said, "What." John wrote about the fragrance of the oil filling the house may have been his way of saying what Mark 14, 9 said. So Mark 14 is Mark's account of this. And uh, he said something interesting at the end of, of this whenever Jesus kind of defended her in Mark 14, 9. He says, And truly I say to you, whoever... Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's quite a prophecy. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, what she has done for me will be told of her, in memory of her. And, um, hey, here we are 2,000 years later, proclaiming the gospel of John, and her memory is being told of her. Maybe Jesus was an accurate, real, true prophet. But, so he says, what, what John wrote about the fragrance of the oil filling the house may have been his way of saying what Mark 14, 9 said, that her, what she did would continue, her reputation would continue. He says there's a, rab- a rabbionic saying that the scent of good oil is diffused from the bedchamber to the dining hall while a good name is diffused from one end of the world to the other. So this idea of this fragrance filling the house would be the idea of what what fragrance are we leaving wherever we go? What would it look like if your home was filled with the fragrance of Jesus? How would that change your home? What would it look like if the community, our community, was filled with the fragrance of Jesus because that's the reputation of Christ and His church in the community? Isn't it true that Christians usually aren't known for their fragrance of Jesus? Actually, if you poll people, they'll be like, I hate Christians. I love Jesus. Hate Christians. And why is that? How come Christians don't bring the fragrance of Jesus with them everywhere? What would it be like if if Christians walked into the room and the atmosphere changed for the better? What would that be like? I think that's what he's trying to say here is that, man, this, this heart of grateful, generous worship of the Lord, a heart that's not critical of others and greedy for self-gain, but generous and selfless is one that will permeate everywhere you go. That when you go somewhere, people will be like, man, I bet they're bringing me something. When they see Christians, they're like, man, I wonder what they have for me. Not, I wonder what they're going to ask me for. I wonder if they're going to ask me to give them something. What if we brought the fragrance of Jesus everywhere we go? Who will you worship? Will you worship yourself? Will you worship yourself? Be filled with greed? Are you always grabbing things for yourself? Or will you worship Jesus? Be filled with gratitude and be known of your generosity towards God and towards others. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for your word, that your word is true and is good and is helpful and alive. And um, Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our greed. I think probably every one of us in here are in danger of being caught up in greed and it is so uh, normal and natural in our culture that it doesn't even look like greed anymore. So I pray that you'd help us to accurately evaluate our lives, that your Holy Spirit would poke and prod and teach and convict 
and help us see where our hearts have been so wrapped up in things. God, really, you say that the way to get your heart away from things is to give your things away. You say where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And that is not our treasure that follows our heart, but our heart that follows our treasure. So I pray that you'd help us to break the patterns of greed in our heart by grateful generosity. Sacrificial giving to you and to others. Giving in our work and service of you. Giving in our worship and adoration of you. Giving in our witness for you, God. I pray that we'd be people who can be known for our worship like Mary was. That we would have a reputation, a fragrance about us that blessed everywhere we go. And therefore, people would know you Father, you say in your word that that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That there's something about how we live, Father, that really speaks to people about you. So help us to be a blessing and not a burden. Help us to be grateful, not greedy. And I pray that we would trust you every day, that we would see you as worth it worth it all. Pray you bless my brothers and sisters as we seek to walk with you this week in Jesus name. Amen. Would you stand up? Would you stand up? And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God bless you, church. I'll see you next week. You're loved.